When you leave this morning, there are two cafe tables right back between the doors, and there you will find a half sheet of paper with uh, scriptures to reflect on from the message. I usually prepare a PowerPoint, and I did again this week. It's a fairly short message with more scripture in it than ever before. So we're going to be going boom, 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 boom. And you're not going to have time to follow it on the screens. So my encouragement would be reflect on it during the week. I want to read for us from John 15, verses 16 through 21. We're still thinking of the life of Joseph today. But we're looking at the connections that we find between Joseph's life and Jesus' life. John 15, I want to read for us verses 16 through 21. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates me. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. <clears throat> Over these past few weeks, we have immersed ourselves in the story of Jesus. And I have reminded you uh, continually of the necessity of bringing <clears throat> Joseph's story, and for that matter, our stories, into the context of God's greater story. But we must understand that that works the other way too. God loves to bring his greater story into our stories to incarnate what he's doing in us. When he brings his story into our story, we can often recognize his handwriting. He has a discernible style. <clears throat> when God authors a story, you can count on finding certain recurring themes. And because that's true, there will be similarities between the story of God's only begotten son and the stories of all of his other children. Today, I want to look at some of those similarities that we find between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. But I expect that you will recognize some of these same things in your life as well. Occasionally, biblical writers or speakers will draw explicit parallels between Jesus and some other character or event in God's big story. The New Testament, for example, sees parallels between the Passover sacrifice and Jesus' sacrifice. Between the medicinal serpent on the pole, if you don't know what that is, read Numbers 21, and Jesus on the cross. People see resemblances in the New Testament. They see resemblances between Jesus and Jeremiah, Jesus and Adam, Jesus and Isaac, even Jesus and Jonah, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. There are many other Old Testament similarities or types, types is the technical word, that foreshadow something in the life of Jesus. Now, no New Testament writer ever explicitly compares Joseph to Jesus 
But Joseph looks like Jesus in many ways. And I think there's a reason for that, a reason that's important for us to understand. The more a person gets caught up into the purpose of God in this world, as Joseph did, the more his or her life will exhibit the characteristics that we find in Jesus. St. John wrote, in this world, we are like him. Likewise, he wrote, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. The apostle of love expected the lives of Jesus' people to follow a pattern, one that he had seen in the master's life. We sing a great hymn by Charles Wesley, Christ the Lord is risen today, that recognizes that pattern. Soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head, made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Because the Christ follower's life exhibits this pattern, Jesus could tell his closest followers, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. He expected the same pattern they had seen in his life to manifest itself in their lives. Now, we're not talking about trying to imitate Christ, though we certainly ought to do so, and in fact, the the apostles command us to do so. But quite apart from that intentional effort to imitate Jesus, our lives will bear a resemblance to his. If his spirit lives in us, and we live for him, our lives will take on a predictable shape. And the people around us will respond to that shape in predictable ways. Now, as I mentioned, in the New Testament, Joseph is never directly compared to Christ, but he has the Jesus shape. So I want to look at six similarities this morning between Joseph and Jesus that will help us identify that shape. The first of these similarities is that Joseph was deeply loved by his father, <clears throat> just as Jesus is deeply loved by his father. Now, if you've been here, you may be thinking, but that's what caused all the trouble in Joseph's life. But I would answer, not at all. It wasn't that Jacob loved Joseph too much that caused the trouble, but that he didn't love his other children as he could have. The text says, now Israel loved Joseph, and that's wonderful. I mean, so far, so good. The problem comes with the rest of the sentence. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Israel loved Joseph. God loves Jesus, which is something the biblical writers never tire of telling us. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's Matthew 3.17. This is my beloved son. This is Mark 9.7. Listen to him. That phrase appears again and again. My beloved son. God keeps saying this about Jesus, and the biblical writers keep relaying it to us. The apostle Paul even refers to Jesus as the son of his love. God loves his son Jesus. And the same pattern is seen in us. God loves us. It's our chief characteristic. It's what gives us our identity. We are the much loved, dearly loved, always loved children of God. It's who we are if we're Christ's. It's who you are if you've been made new by faith in Jesus. 
Let me give you a second similarity between Joseph and Jesus. While they were both deeply loved by their father, they were both rejected by their brothers. The text says that Joseph's brothers hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. Of Jesus, the Bible says he came to his own, where that's an idiom in Greek. It could be translated, he came home. And his own did not receive him. Even Jesus' own brothers, and I, for one, think that like Joseph's brothers, they were half-brothers, rejected him. In his gospel, John tells us that his brothers mocked Jesus, saying, leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And then he adds, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Joseph's brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. The people Jesus came to said, in effect, we do not want this man to reign over us. In both cases, their own people turned them over to other people to get rid of them. And the same pattern sometimes can be seen in us. If we determine to live God's way for God's glory, some people even people who are important to us will reject us. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Thinking about that, the Apostle John says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. I have to confess, I have been surprised sometimes by the hateful things that people say. Some of you No, I write a newspaper column that is carried in gatehouse media and and papers around the country. And so I get feedback, sometimes a lot of feedback. And most of it is positive. But I've also had people insult me, question my intelligence, tell me that people like me have no place in the world. There was one time I thought somebody was going to come after me with a gun. I mean, people can be very hateful. Nobody likes being told he's stupid, but Jesus warned us that this kind of thing and things much worse than that might happen to us. And Paul warned us, and John warned us, and Peter warned us. See, the pattern keeps reestablishing itself, and it can happen to you. St. Paul told Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. As the pattern that revealed itself in Jesus is exhibited in us, the pattern that was revealed in the people around Jesus will be revealed in the people around us. If we allow ourselves to be intimidated, we will have a hard time living a godly life in Christ Jesus. Let me point out a third similarity between Joseph and Jesus. They both had to suffer before they could enter into glory. Joseph was rejected by his brothers, like Jesus. He was wrongly arrested, like Jesus. He was sentenced unjustly, like Jesus. And Joseph said, I have done nothing to deserve being put into prison. I have done nothing to deserve this. Of Jesus, it was said, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. On one occasion, he said to his his opponents, can anyone convict me of sin? Once while discussing the injustice he'd suffered, Jesus asked two of his disciples, did not the Christ 
have to suffer? Don't you see? Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, our story will reflect that pattern. Suffering, then glory. St. Peter says, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering, then glory. St. Paul writes, if we endure, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. That's the pattern. Somewhere we get the idea that our stories shouldn't have conflict or discomfort or suffering, but we didn't get that idea from Jesus or from any of his people. Peter tells us, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Paul adds, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Jesus, the author of Hebrews, tells us, learned obedience from what he suffered. That's generally how we learn it, too. The apostle Peter tells his friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as if something strange were happening to you. Jesus warned us, in this world, you will have trouble. The pattern that Jesus lived, that Joseph lived, that Paul lived, that Peter lived, that they told us we would live, involves suffering. We cannot escape it. But we can waste it. Let me say that again. You will not escape suffering. But you might waste it by not trusting in God. Let me give you another similarity between the stories of Joseph and Jesus. When Joseph's brothers saw him in Egypt, they didn't know him. So with Jesus, John writes, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus once told the people arguing with him, you don't know me or my father. As with Joseph, the very people who should have recognized him didn't. And here again, the pattern is manifest in our lives. St. John writes, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Now the next line. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world doesn't recognize us for who we are. Now we can hardly blame them for that. Most of the time, we don't recognize ourselves for who we are. To do so is an act of faith. And the world does not share that faith. Or didn't you know that we not only trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but also for the emergence of our true selves, the people we were always intended to be. That too requires faith on our part. Let me give you a fifth similarity between Joseph and Jesus that we ought to know. They both endured intense periods of temptation. Remember what happened to Joseph. When he landed in Egypt, he was put to work as a household servant in the estate of a high-ranking government official named Potiphar. As time went by, people took notice of the intelligence, the efficiency, the winning personality of this young slave. 
the government official Potiphar noticed it too, and he gave him a series of promotions. Before long, he was the major domo of Sir Potiphar's estate. He was his business manager, his advisor. But Mrs. Potiphar also took notice of Joseph. Now, her husband was gone much of the time, and she was a very unhappy person. Maybe she drank too much. At any rate, she tried to find distraction in other men. And in Joseph, she found a man who could distract her. She flirted with him, not once, but many times, but he didn't play that game. She tried to seduce him. He refused to be around her. She talked to him openly about sex. He rebuffed her with the words, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? One day when she got Joseph alone, she threw herself at him. I mean, it's really a pathetic scene. This desperately unhappy, sick-at-heart woman just wanting to feel okay about herself. She's already done everything she can to lure him into her bed and dishonor his master. Now she frantically grabs a hold of him, but Joseph tears himself away, and he actually runs out of the house. Jesus, too, endured intense temptation. You remember that he was led out into the desert where he spent 40 days alone. How often temptation happens when we are away from our usual supports. And there the devil tempted him. And everything the devil said to him could be taken, now I say could be taken by a person choosing to take it so, could be taken as sound, practical advice. In each case, Jesus said, in effect, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In each temptation, have you ever noticed, Jesus looked to God and mentioned God as a way of refusing the tempter. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Both Joseph and Jesus endured temptation. They were both alone during its most furious onslaughts. But both were living Godward lives when the temptation came, that makes a huge difference. And they both looked to God while the temptation lasted. Jesus suffered real painful temptation, a temptation to turn from God and his ways and seek satisfaction somewhere else. That pattern reemerges in the lives of his people. We too are tempted, sometimes we're tempted intensely It's good to know that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He went through it, and he did it well. Our way through is his way through, to be living a Godward life when temptation strikes and to look to God while temptation lasts. That's the one thing the tempter does not want you to do. Understand that his primary goal in the temptation is not to get you to do the immoral thing. Okay, I think we often misunderstand this. His primary goal is not to get you to do the immoral thing, to have sex outside marriage, to cheat, to lie, to explode in anger, or whatever else. His one goal is to turn you away from God. That's all he cares about. He wants you to give up on God. 
Turn from him. Look elsewhere. He wants to get God out of your life. Once you've turned from God, the battle's already lost. Whether you go on to do the immoral thing or not, doesn't matter. The evil one could care less whether you actually do it. His only concern is to get you away from God. That's what it's all about. We are able to withstand temptation the same way Jesus and Joseph were, by submitting ourselves to God, trusting him, and not taking our eyes off him during the temptation. There always comes that moment when we turn our eyes from him and then we've lost. Don't let yourself forget the heart of any and every temptation, the temptation within the temptation, the real temptation, is to turn from God. It was so with Adam and Eve, and it was so with Joseph, and it's so with us. In the moment of temptation, Adam mistrusted God and looked to himself. Joseph mistrusted himself and looked to God. That's the difference between night and day, between success and failure. Let me point out one final similarity between Joseph and Jesus. One last place where the pattern manifests itself to our sight. There was trial and suffering, but afterward came victory. There was humiliation, but afterward came glory. After the derision came exaltation. Joseph went from the dungeon to the palace. Jesus went from the criminal's cross to the king's throne. And this pattern will manifest itself in our lives as well if we're Jesus' people. Whoever humbles himself, humbles himself, will be exalted. If we endure with him, we'll reign with him. We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now we suffer grief and all kinds of trials, but praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God did not make us for unending hardship. But, as St. Paul says explicitly, for his eternal glory. The weeping may endure for a night, and make no mistake about it, it can be a long and dark night. Though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. Now, let me remind you one final time. Joseph was not so much a type of Jesus as he was a person like Jesus, which accounts, I believe, for all of these similarities. He was not a literary foreshadowing of Jesus, but a person who was trying to live a Godward life. And such people then and now a certain pattern manifests itself. It goes by different names. Holiness, godliness. You can call it the purpose-driven life, if you like. Call it what you will. It's the with God, like Jesus life that appears whenever the Spirit of God gives new life to a person who trusts in Jesus. And wherever that life manifests itself, there's a certain predictable response from the people around it. And so the same pattern emerges again and again as God keeps telling the one story in different ways. Yes, there's misunderstanding, conflict, trial, temptation. They're all a part of it. But there's also endurance, accomplishment, vindication, and usefulness. We shouldn't be surprised by present hardships. But neither should we forget future glory. Our lives are all bound up with his life. 
if we've been born again through faith in Jesus. And who would want it any other way? Now let's pray. God. God. We are born bent the wrong direction. And we keep turning in on ourselves instead of out towards you. But thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us from our sins and from ourselves. Let the pattern shine brightly in us so that people can look at us and look through us and see the master behind us. I ask this in his name. Amen.